Okay. All right. We'll do that, Connie. Please pray for Connie. She goes for her, uh, t- her appointment and her treatments and her tests. So pray that the treatments would work for her. Okay. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory. In the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem, in the hand of your God, you shall no longer be termed forsaken. Nor shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hezebah, and your land Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you, and the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So shall your God rejoice over you. I have set a watchman on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, Surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies, and the sons of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine. For which of you have labored, but those who have gathered it shall eat it, and praise the Lord, and those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, Take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken." There's a lot going on in this passage of Scripture, and sometimes when we talk about Israel, we kind of feel like it has nothing to do with us, but it does. It has a lot to do with us. Let me ask you a question. How many of you honestly are, um, would be sincere and say, I need to grow in my prayer life? <laughs> I think we all do, don't we? I, I kind of feel like sometimes my prayers are nothing more than complaining rather than prayers. Has anybody else been there? Um, you're just complaining to God rather than praying. I've often wondered how the prophets prayed. Now, we know that the prophets represented God to the people and the people to God. They would uh, get the message from God and they would deliver that message. But I often thought, how did they pray? They prayed perhaps like we pray. As they waited for God's message, they would entreat God and they would go to Him. And in our text, we get a wonderful lesson from a prophet on the subject of prayer, if we could just see it. Don't get caught up in all the end times Israel things when we think, you know, there's not a message here for us. There is a message for us. Notice in verse 1, as we see the praying prophet and the lessons we can learn from him. For Zion's sake, 
I will not hold my peace. Zion is Jerusalem. We know that. The first point that I would have about this praying prophet is he prayed passionately. If you understand the scripture and you remember from Isaiah 60 and 61, God has already promised he was going to do these things. He was going to restore Israel. He was going to bless them. He was going to bless them in in a multifaceted blessing. He was going to bless them materially. He was going to bless them spiritually. He was going to bless them emotionally. He was going to do all of these things physically. Uh, He was going to bless them. He has given them the promise. And the prophet knew well the promise. He knows the promise. And he's passionately praying to God while he's waiting on the promise. Now, just because he's praying while he's waiting on the promise doesn't, believe, doesn't mean that he does not believe the promise. He believes the promise. But what, what he does while he waits on the promise is he prays. And he does so passionately. He says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. I will not be quiet. I will continually lift up prayers on behalf of Zion for their sake to the Lord. I will not. He, was, he would be passionate. You know, James tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I think fervent has some zeal in it, don't you? Some zest in it, some, some passion in it. You know, we can be passionate about a lot of things. How often are we passionate when we cry out to God in our prayer lives? How often are we passionate when we pray to God? Knowing that God has given us great and wonderful promises in this book. He's given us these great and wonderful promises. We believe they're going to come true, but while we're waiting on these promises, we ought to pray passionately. He says, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. The, the, the second point about this is his persistence. His persistence. He was persistent in praying and talking to God. You know what happens when we pray? We change. We don't change God's mind. We don't change God. God is not a man. He doesn't have to change. We do. And when we pray passionately and when we pray uh, persistently, it changes us. It keeps those promises right before our eyes. One of the big problems with Christianity today is we are becoming distracted by all the non-essentials. And we're missing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ and His message of the gospel. We're arguing politically, we're arguing all this stuff and all this other stuff. We need to persistently pray to God. Listen to this, number three, the promises of God. Have you ever set out to pray, and one and a half minutes into your prayer, you didn't have anything else to say? Am I the only one? Um, there have been times in my life where I prayed everything, and I prayed the same thing over and over and over and over and over, and uh, I run out of things to pray. You know, this book is full of the promises of God that we can pray back to the Lord. 
You say, why would we do that? Well, to see, the prophet understood something. In God's sovereignty, he knew that all of God's plans would come to fruition. But in the midst of those coming to fruition, he didn't know, the prophet didn't know exactly how it was going to happen, how he fit into it. So what would he do? He bid his time by praying. He would pray to the Lord. Um, this evening I have a book I'm reading on George Mueller. George Mueller was a man of faith. Oh my goodness, a man of faith. Scary some of the things in his book. And he made this comment about ministry and being careful that ministry doesn't take us away from our communion with God. He says this, and I quote, Public prayer is no substitute for closet communion. What he was saying was that it's more important for you and I to be on our face before God, alone with God, than it is all of our public prayers that we pray. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not a real big prayer of public prayers. I mean, I'm just not. I, I, this prayer's always been intimacy with me, and I, and I do my best praying when no one's around. I can just talk to God. I don't have to have this, you know, weird religious language. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I have some friends who are pastors, and we, we, get, we get kicked out of it all the time. We call them the preacher voice. They have one voice out there, but when they get in the pulpit and when they pray, they have a different voice. And um, it's called a preacher voice. I've hacked a couple of times, but it was on accident. <laughs> uh, notice what he says. I'm not, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Until all the Gentiles see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, I'm not going to stop praying. I know it's coming. I have given the message you have given to me, Lord, to the people, your people, Israel. I know it's coming. I believe it because you told me, God. But I'm not going to stop passionately, persistently praying back the promises of God to you until it happens. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory. Now I love this. In verse 3, you see in your Bible, hand is mentioned twice. There's two words in the Hebrew here. The first one is that of a open hand, open. And the second part, or the second Hebrew word for the hand in this verse is means in the middle. In this passage of Scripture, he says, In the hand of the Lord, a roll diadem, in the hand of your God, you shall no longer be termed forsaken. You, Israel, are smack dab in the middle of the Lord's hand, crowned as the royal city, and you no longer will be termed forsaken, nor shall your land be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight 
is in her. That's what the word means. Hephzibah. Hephzibah. My delight is in her. That's what it means. And your land, Beulah, which means married. Did you all know that that's where the song Beulah Land came from? That's right. That's where the song and the longing for Beulah Land, that's where that came from. Why? Because the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The prophet is praying back the promises of God. Everything that he has just told them in 60 and 61, he is turning around and praying it back to God. We can learn a lot from a prophet that prays. But there's a second group of people in this text that prays. Verse 6. Now God is speaking. He says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. What's this? You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give Him no rest till He establishes, until He makes Jerusalem praise in the earth. There are some who believe that these watchmen are angels and that God put angels on the wall to watch over them. It's a funny word this uh, Hebrew word is for watchmen. It has the root meaning to remember. It's used, and we'll let the Bible define how it's used and what the meaning is of this passage, but it's used in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 18, and it was used of those who were put in charge to uh, record... They would record everything in the kingdom and anything that needed brought to the attention of the king. It was their responsibility as recorders to bring it and give it to the king. Now it's interesting as we talk about these watchmen. He says, I have set your watchmen on the walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. Some people think that there's angels that guarding Jerusalem, meaning that they're there to make sure that Jerusalem is kept safe. Well, you don't have to worry about that because God said He would keep Jerusalem safe. He doesn't need angels. God's keeping Jerusalem safe. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, we've been to Jerusalem, I've been to Jerusalem, and it's not a real big city. And Hezbollah would like to wipe them off the face of the map, but they've never been able to do that. Why? Because God, who never slumbers or never sleeps, has got Jerusalem right in the palm of His hand, right where He wants them. So they're not there for protection, but they have a ministry of never holding their peace day or night. You make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent, and give Him no rest till He establishes, till He makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. These, these uh, watchmen have the distinct responsibility of reminding God of His promises to Israel day and night. And you say, well, God knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere at the same time. Why would He need someone to remind Him? He doesn't. But this is so all heaven knows, all heaven knows that God is not finished with Israel. He is not finished with them. And, they, and, and the prophet speaking says, you keep on praying, 
You keep on praying, give God no rest till he establishes, till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. What are they doing? When they remind God, they are simply praying the promises of God back to him. Now, how many of us honestly pray like that? Do any of us ever pray back the promises of God to him? Or do we more like, God, give me this, God, do this, God, do that? We really want a genie more than we want a God, right? And he has told us that we can boldly come to him and we can ask. And if we ask in Jesus' name with the right motive, for the right reasons, we can ask anything. And he'll give us. He's not going to give us something that would harm us. But he encourages us to come. But let me ask you a question. How many of us pray back the promises of Scripture to the Lord? I will tell you this. I think the biggest problem in Christianity today is a Christless, godless Christianity. We have no intimate relationship with the Lord. We have no prayer time with the Lord. We have no uh, time where it's just communing with the Father. We're always so busy, and we don't have time to read the Bible. We don't have time to pray back the promises of God. We don't have time to meditate on the promises of God. We want to hurry up and go about our business. And we, church, are suffering because of it. We cannot... We cannot physically maintain the pace we are moving at in our land. We cannot do it. We are going to run out of steam. All because we have left God out. Look at verse 8. The Lord has sworn by His right hand... And by the arm of his strength, surely I will no longer give you grain as food for your enemies. And the sons of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine, for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. The Lord has sworn by his right hand remember when God said there's nobody greater than me so I swear by myself and so we have this wonderful picture of a prophet who passionately persistently prays the promises of God back to him we have watchmen that are appointed by God who passionately persistently pray back the promises to God why because they believed that God would do everything that He said they, that He would do. And by their praying these prayers back and these promises back, it kept them focused on the things that really mattered. Look at verse 10. Go through, go through. Isaiah has done this a few times in the book of Isaiah. I don't know if you picked up on it. They're doubling, this doubling. He, he puts together these two phrases. He doubles them together and he does so for emphasis. Go through, go through the gates. Notice what he says. Prepare the way for the people. 
They believed. They believed God's promise that the people would return to Israel, to Jerusalem. And what are they doing? They're saying, as the farmer would pray for his crop, he says, Amen, with a hoe in his hand. What they are saying is, we're preparing for the return of the king. Prepare, prepare the way for the people. Because God has prophesied they're going to return to Israel. It reminds me of the town that had a drought. And they decided to have a prayer meeting. And it was a town-wide prayer meeting. And only one man showed up with an umbrella. Who do you suppose believed in the power of prayer? True story. There was a nightclub beside a church. This nightclub was a strip bar. The strip bar burned down. They sued the church, said the church prayed. The church said we didn't pray. And the judge says, this is the first time in all my life where a strip club believes in the power of prayer and the church doesn't. Do we pray and prepare? Do we pray and prepare? Build up the highway. Build up. Build up the highway. There's that doubling together again. Take out the stones. Lift up a banner for the peoples. Let them know where to come. Now, ironically, they don't have to do that because God's going to send them right where they need to go. Prepare the way. Secondly, proclaim to the end of the world. What's that sound like? Does it not sound like the Great Commission? Go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel, make disciples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world. Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him, his work before him, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. They believed so passionately in, in this, they believed that the Lord was ready to come back right then. And in so much as they believed it, they were preparing the way right then because the, they had in their minds the, the gospel, the Lord had been proclaimed to the end of the world. And He's coming with His reward. They were ready. When's the last time you and I prayed for the return of the Lord? And meant it. When's the last time we sincerely prayed that God would come quickly? We've grown a little too comfortable on this earth, haven't we? We've driven our stakes real deep into the earth. We have the preparation for the return of the king. Prepare the way for the people. Proclaim to the end of the world. And the redeemed people of the Lord. In the millennial kingdom, when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, a literal earthly kingdom there in Jerusalem, they will be called the holy people. Exodus 19, he called them a nation of priests. And it will be, at that time, it will be for the first time, 
a nation of priests. Everyone will be priests. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. See, God chose Jerusalem. God chose Israel. They didn't choose him. God chose them. And the prophet knows, and as he prays, he looks forward to the day when his people, the one of whom he is among, will be the redeemed, the sought out, a city not forsaken, Jerusalem. All of your prophecy guys tell you to keep your eyes on Jerusalem. Rather than looking at time, look at a place. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the, the, the seat of everything that's going to happen. It's, it's right there. And as I read through this, I see how little I know of prayer. How little I really commune with the Lord concerning His things. It's almost as if God, I say, God, hold on now. I got all these issues. And God is concerned about our issues. Don't get me wrong. But shouldn't we, at some point, commune with the Father and pray back the promises passionately, persistently to Him? We would never run out of things to pray if we just started praying His Word back to Him. But oftentimes... We don't have time for the Lord. I have a friend who has a, a downstairs, and it's one of those split levels where you have to come out of the stairs to go out, uh, upstairs to go outside, excuse me. And he has a little sign on his door that says, are you really going to leave this house before you pray? As a reminder. Max Licato says he is a recovering prayer wimp. I read his book on prayer, and that was uh, like in the first chapter of the introduction. I thought, man, that describes me. I don't even know if I'm there yet, a wimp yet, a prayer wimp. I don't even know if I'm recovering. Might be the better. But we know and we believe that these blessings will come on Israel. And we know that we have great and awesome promises that our Heavenly Father has given us. But how often do we pray those promises He's given us back to Him? You say, well, how do I do that? Just open up the book. Just read the book. You'll figure it out. But we don't have time. We have time for news channels. We have time for Facebook. We have time for everything. But do we have time for our Heavenly Father? Let me ask you a question. How many of us would like our prayers recorded in the eternal scriptures forever? <laughs> I don't think I would want mine. Because mine are like, oof, you know. These guys had their prayers recorded because Isaiah says, I'm not going to stop. I will not hold my peace. I will not hold my peace. I will not. Rest. For Jerusalem's sake, 
I will not rest until all of these promises of God are fulfilled. I'm going to pray these promises. I'm going to pray them. I'm going to pray them. And I'm going to pray them until they're fulfilled. And it all leads, prayer always leads us back to an emphasis on God, on Christ. That's where they came. They came and the watchmen came and they merged their prayers and they came back to the King, the Messiah, Jesus, who is God in the flesh. They came to that. Uh, let me ask you this. How many of you remember in Matthew chapter 11? Would you go with Matthew chapter 11? Or no, I'm sorry, not Matthew, Luke chapter 11. I apologize. Luke chapter 11. Jesus was praying. He was always often alone praying. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now listen, he didn't say teach us how to pray. He said teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven. Where is his attention? It's on the Father. It's on the Father. Hallowed be your name. What's the next phrase? Your kingdom come. Jesus was praying the promises of God back to the Father. And he was telling them, this is how you pray. Did he not tell us that he would give us our daily bread? Did he not tell us that we're more important than the birds, the sparrows, and the birds there, and they have stuff to eat? Your Father knows you have need of these things, right? He's praying the promises of God back to them. And that's, what I, that's the point I want to make. Jesus could have said any number of things, but He directs our attention to communing with the Father. He directs the disciples. As John taught his disciples how to pray, or how to pray, or to pray, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, if you want to pray, this is how you pray. You pray with your emphasis on the Heavenly Father, your attention on the Heavenly Father. You acknowledge who He is. You ask for His will. You ask Him to meet your needs. You ask Him to forgive for forgiveness and to help you forgive others and to protect us from evil. All of those things, the Scriptures tell us we have in God, the Father. God is our provider. He is our protector. All. And so... We have to come to the place where we realize that prayer is a little bit bigger than what we understand. I'll be honest with you. The more I study prayer, the more perplexed I am about prayer. Is anyone else with me? Now, you think it's just simple, you know, great, I'm glad. But the more I start thinking all these questions, I think, man, there is so much here that I miss out on because, are you with me? I pray my way. 
not the Father's way. So I would tell you this. The lesson I see from Isaiah 62, a lesson from a prophet, a praying prophet on prayer, I would say this. That we, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, need to passionately, persistently pray the promises of God in expectation of their fulfillment. And we may, we may just not be so miserable on this earth anymore. All the stuff that we give our attention to on this earth is the very stuff that clutters our lives and gives us headache and gives us problems. The prophet says, look beyond that. Go to the Heavenly Father. I am so thankful that you and I don't have to go into a little confession booth and go through a man or we don't have to go through Mary. I am so thankful that God has rent the veil from top to bottom and says that you and I can boldly come to the throne and we can talk to the Heavenly Father. Straight shot to God. No third party calls. No call waiting. Directly to Him. No, you don't. And I'll tell you this. I think in my life I need a revival of prayer. I need a revival of prayer. There are other prayers. Paul wrote some prayers in Colossians, how to pray for others. There's a lot of prayers in the Bible. But we don't have to worry about running out of promises to pray back to God. You know what we do when we do that? We start learning the scripture. We start hiding it in our heart because we're praying it back to him. So really it's for us. It helps us. So let me encourage you. Be a fervent prayer. Pray. Talk to God. Spend time alone with him. If you like to go to the woods, go to the woods. Wear uh, spray. Because my uh, sister-in-law got bit by a tick and had major problems. So make sure you do that. Maybe you have a special place in your garage. Maybe you go out by the pool. Maybe you go somewhere, somewhere you got the, a, a little place on the porch you like to go to be alone with God. Get there with God. Spend time with Him. That's what we need, guys, in this land. We don't need more production. We don't need more all this other stuff. We need the power of God on our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you for your wonderful blessing.